Welcome to episode 42 of the Mountain Bike Podcast, everybody, mountain bikers and non-mountain bikers alike. Yes. Even roadie folk. Yeah. We welcome everyone. We do. Triathlete folk, them all. Anyways, this is episode 42, and I'm, I'm your host, Jonathan Lee, with my co-host, Stephen Lewis. Hello. We're going to talk about mountain bike stuff today. We are. Uh, it's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. I think that we have, so mainly, we have a lot of questions, and uh, we have some news to cover as well. And mm-hmm. we also have the business to get to. We does. And then we're going to close it out with some tips. Mm-hmm. Before we get to that, though, uh, a couple things really quick. Jonathan Ray cycle across this weekend. Uh, yes, I did. Uh, That's not what you were going to go Cross for. Nats. Yeah. Yeah, it's good fun. Yeah. Um, did, I feel like we did a podcast since then. I guess we didn't. No, well, we did not. Man. Yeah, time You warp. did a podcast. Yes. That was not this podcast. Yes. The that was the training road. I, yeah. Just the last, like... 14 days has seemed like 14 years. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm lost in this weird time warp. So yeah, no, makes yeah, sense. Cross nationals. It was here. Mm-hmm. It's good fun. I rode your Cannondale super X and ripping bike. Amazing. Super fun. Very good handling bike. Uh, I rode that and, uh, I rode 45, <clears throat> 33 C Riddlers yeah. on there. Good 33 C tires. <laughs> yes. If yeah. you don't know what we're talking about, you can check out. Have we put that as an Instagram post? I don't think so. It was just one of our stories. Okay. I will, I think we can say, we can I don't know if I saved it. Yeah. I don't know. Either we'll way. Anyways, we just used a paint pen and we colored over that 45 and called them 33. It was a good time. It was great. So uh, it was good fun. I didn't do the championship <laughs> race. So for all those freaking out, you can chill. Yeah. They were just fun races. Yep. All yeah. non-championship stuff, but... Tons of fun. Uh, but other than that, um, you can, people can find this podcast, MTB podcast. Just look for MTB podcast or mountain bike podcast on whatever thing and you'll find Use us. Use the Googles and it'll show us, or show it a, you exactly where. Give it a Goog, yeah, as they say. the Googs. And then you can submit questions at mtbpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. I still haven't gotten to the store. We still haven't planned out our Sedona trip. But I've been traveling this week, getting a weird TT triathlon bike fit thing going. That's enough about that. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. Let's go into the news. Let's do some news things. News team, assemble! All right. First thing, a bit of unconventional news out of the UK. Yeah. Good eye, right? The Brits. Good day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Uh, over there. Mm-hmm. not down south all Across the way into Australia, yeah. you know, Austria. But um, actually, over in the UK, Hope Bikes, they made that bike, the H... HB160. HB160, that guy, um, carbon bike. And Hope makes very blingy stuff. Mm-hmm. They make very good brakes. They do. They make uh, good cranks, those sort of things. Uh, anyways, they sold... They, they're refunding people. First of all, they cut the price on their carbon bike. Like 2,000 pounds. It's a lot. Yeah, that's a big... Big price job. And they're refunding people that already bought the bike. Which is very interesting. I don't know how much that's going to cost them. What's the strategy there? I'm confused. Uh, I, you know, honestly, you know, with what they were talking about um, in the article, it wasn't, I guess it wasn't uh, detailed a whole lot other than they basically said that, you know, Ian Wetherill said that we promised to be competitive with everybody else and having a bike that was 2000 pounds more than everybody else wasn't competitive. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of a, like, we're sorry. Yeah. He says an asking price of 7,500 pounds certainly put it into the superbike category, but given the quality finish attention to detail and uniqueness, it's not justified. Like I get that, but if somebody's already bought it, man, I don't think that they're like, I don't know, maybe they are upset. I don't know. That just seems a little crazy to me. But I mean, 
I know that I'm complaining about somebody giving, you know, a, a brand giving people money and we complain about bikes being too expensive. And I, I understand that that, you know, that's a conflict there, but yeah, it just seems crazy. Yeah. But who knows? Yeah. If it works, it works. I mean, it, it could be a good thing. You know, they say all marketing is good marketing, but so if you bought that, if you bought that hope, <clears throat> check your mail. Yeah. Check your mail. You'll get some, uh, mm. envy wheels now or something. Mm -hmm. Local dude, Cam Zinc. Yeah. He's What's off of SRAM and Rock Shocks. That 14 year relationship. That's interesting. Pretty I, crazy. Yeah. Huh? I don't know what to say. Where's he going to go? What's he going to do? Yeah. Who knows, man? Is he going to be Fox Shimano? Is he going to be DVO yeah. and box? Is he going to be just his own deal? Like, what's he going to do? Yeah. Do you mean you say his own deal? Fashion his own components? No. I mean, just like, you know, decide who he wants to uh, run on his own. I don't know. He could make a suspension company called Cam's Bump Sticks. Cam's Bump Sticks. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> if we use that, uh, do we get royalty <laughs> sure. off of that? Cam, if you, you end up person. going for that. Just let us know. Yeah. You know, we, you can send checks to us as well. Or other good ideas. We have them. True story. Um, I feel like we don't cover enough women's mountain bike news or things. No. Um, you and I are both, in fact, male. We are. So Decidedly so. Decidedly. And so uh, this is something that I think that we are inherently biased and we should be better at this. So um, Vita MTB series, that's a, a series that all throughout, usually throughout the Western US, mm -hmm. um, but and they have different bike clinics that they put on that go over handling, that go over geez, a ton of different things. Yeah. So um, it's awesome stuff. And their 2018 clinics, they announced them, Sedona MTB Festival, uh, Valmont Bike Park, at the Betty Bike Bash, because mm -hmm. Yeti is a big supporter of this. Yeah. Uh, Trestle Bike Park, Snowmass Bike Park, Durango and Purgatory Bike Park, and the Golden Giddy Up. In other words, Colorado and Arizona, y'all be painted, I guess, uh, purple, purple, it looks paint. like this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah with, uh, with these events. So pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, check those out. And that would be a sweet destination weekend. I've seen a lot of folks do that. That would be really cool to go to. Yeah, especially place. Sedona. So for you boys, if you're going, yes. take your, your SOs with you, your significant others. Or if you're planning on going there and you're a female, bring your bros. And exactly. so then they can, they can tread too. Um, okay. Uh, Stan's Pivot Pro Team. Yeah. It's announced. We have friends of the podcast. Yeah. Excited for them. Keegan Swenson and Sofia Gomez Villafania. They both signed with uh, Chloe Daggart's team and Chloe, or forgive me, Chloe Woodruff's team. And something that's pretty cool with this is that uh, I think this team coming together, if you look at it and top American XC riders, mm -hmm. that's a pretty solid, like top 10, top five. It is. They will be, it's pretty hard to argue that they would not be in the top five. It, it, they, they wouldn't have riders in the top three or top five in every race. Totally. So did you check out those guns on Keegan, by the way? Solid guns. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Man. <laughs> not allowed to go to California with those. Anyways, Rose Grant, Chloe Woodruff. Uh, Sophia Gomez, Vigiafanye, and Keegan Swenson. That's yeah. the team. Stands, uh, stands, no tubes, pivot, Maxis. Yeah. Those are their sponsors. So uh, th the reason that we're sharing this is, is frankly because they're friends of the podcast. So we're excited about that. Mm -hmm. um, so we're personally excited about that. But also, I wanted to share this and kind of touch really briefly on the XC and the XC pro team industry is not what it once was. No pretty unhealthy in terms of sustainability. Yeah. So it's really good to see a company like Maxis that supports a lot of brands, a company or a lot of riders, Pivot supporting a lot of riders and Stans supports a lot of all of them coming together. Because to me, that signals more longevity with at least this team yeah. rather than just one sponsor trying to do it alone and hoping it all works out. Exactly. So, um, next one. Oh, this one should be causing massive uproar. 
but it's not. Yeah. Nolly is embracing a new standard. Well, it's not a new, st- it's a new-ish standard. New-ish standard. Yeah. 157 boost. Super, Super boost. boost. Because so, boostier is better. Yeah, her? I guess. Yeah. Oh, the crazy thing is, like, the, the thing that drives me nuts is this, like, so 157, it is, I understand that it's better mm-hmm. in the sense that you'll get a more rigid wheel without having to run so much tension on your spokes. Isn't that the concept? Uh, yes, it's you're basically widening the spoke angle out, so you get more even tension. You're not going to run less spoke tension. Okay, just it, inherently, even. it's going to be more even side to side. Okay, so that's good, and I get it. But I feel like over the past five years, we have just dealt with an endless barrage of standards. Yeah, and I feel like we just need a little break before we get another standard. Okay, but nobody's really upset. Everybody's like, "Yay, cool! Go Nolly, go go yeah. Canadian company, small company, go ahead." You mm-hmm. know, and 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 do something that's that's really cool. You can't do anything wrong. Meanwhile, SRAM announced their dub standard and the internet lost its mind. Yes. I, I, I think that the main reason is because of the ridiculous mustaches in the video. I don't know if you saw this. There was a lot of ridiculous mustaches. There was some weird mustache stuff going on. Yeah. Like it was a mustache, but then it kind of went into like a weird shape on a man's cheek. It was almost like a, think of like an adventure handlebar from like salsa. <laughs> It's very certainly. weird, man. It's definitely something like that. Like, I don't know if it was like an inside joke with all them. They're like, yeah, let's make this video all have weird mustaches. But like, here's the deal. You're introducing a standard mm-hmm. and then you have like, what you have to do is make yourself not an easy target because like a lot of mountain bike bros like to hate hipster bros. And then when they see mustaches, then that's just fuel for the fire. And it's already cool to hate SRAM yeah. and love Shimano. But then it's also just cool to engage in, in drivetrain company debates, right? Yeah. Um, and when I say cool, it's really not cool at all. Mm-hmm. It's just like, that's in vogue, right? Yeah. So anyway, SRAM releases a new standard that is actually widely compatible. That's the thing is this is backwards compatible and co- highly compatible with almost everything out there. So yeah, it's, but- it's not like they're creating a new standard that cancels out everything we already own, like boost does yeah. or boost one, you know, boost 157, 157 does. Yeah. This is actually making it compatible to everything. And I know SRAM has a greater effect on a larger number of people because yeah. there are many more SRAM drivetrains on bikes than there are Nolly bikes out in the world. Yeah. I get that. Don't get me wrong. But it's not as if like people are outraged because you're going to be harming everybody else. People are just irrationally outraged, right? Yeah. The thing is, so this dub standard, let's talk about that. Because Boost 157, that's understood. Got yeah. it. But this dub standard, basically what they've made is that, so uh, the, the problem that you have if you go to buy a SRAM crank before mm-hmm. is you have GXP, that's one standard. And what that, and or GXP, and then you usually have BB30. Those yes. are the two standards. Those are your two spindle standards for crank sets. So when we're talking about spindle there, what are we talking about? We're talking about between the two crank arms, the axle, the spindle that runs b- between the two and mm-hmm. in through your bottom bracket is your spindle. Yes. And GXP is a 22, 24 millimeter the non-drive side is stepped down to a smaller diameter mm-hmm. uh, to 22 mil, but the drive side is 24, yes. which is similar but not the same as Shimano's 24 mil Holotech standards. Exactly. Whereas BB30 is a 30 millimeter diameter. It's actually 29.99 millimeters <laughs> in diameter. Let's be precise. Yeah, I have to be pre- precise because yes. dub is precise as well. Yeah, So, but it's, it's referred to as BB30. Yes. It functions with... PF30. I think that Specialized is really pushing for everyone just to call it OSBB for a while, oversized bottom bracket. Yeah. Which I like that. Which it was. There's a standard and then oversized makes sense. Yeah. And then how the cups or bearings or bottom bracket fits in. 
and that's its own deal. Yeah. But it basically whittles down to two different diameters mm -hmm. of your spindle, basically. Yeah. GXP was skinnier. BB30 was fatter. Yeah. BB30 was made of aluminum. GXP was actually not made of aluminum. I think it was They're made steel. of steel. They're steel. So BB30 was lighter. Good. Yes. But the problem with BB30 is the fact that usually it came with PF30 systems or I can't think of a BB30 mountain bike that's been using it recently. This Cannondale that's been using is using what? Um, mountain bikes that use BB30 standard instead uh, of PF30. Cannondale invented BB30. They did. And so Cannondale uses- They still uses, use it in their scalpel? They use it in all of their mountain bikes. Okay. They use a, a full BB30 external and then they reduce it down- to uh, what you would call, so basically you go from a PF30 down to 6806 bearings, which is a BB30 bearing. It's, there's, I know we're there's just so confusing many different, everyone. Yes, we're but confusing everybody. But basically the point of this, <clears throat> the point of this is the fact that you've got, B, usually PF30 and BB30 systems are synonymous with a lack of durability with their bearings. And creaking. They develop creaking because mm -hmm. those cups shift or the, 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 your spacers aren't perfectly right. So then as a result, those bearings, you might get shift with your bearings and your yeah. spindle. So that's the, been the problem with BB30. Yes. Uh, that's why people have always asked for threaded bottom brackets is because that it's less of a maintenance nightmare yeah. because you avoid those issues. So now Dub says, hey, we got it. We're going to make a system that you can use this in a frame that accepts threaded bottom brackets, or mm -hmm. you can use this in a frame that accepts oversized bottom brackets. Yeah. And we have the bottom bracket that you need for whatever frame you have, and mm -hmm. it's all the same crank set. You don't have to worry about buying different crank yeah. sets. It's not two separate crank standards yes. for spindles, but then it fits everything. And, and I then know it that gives you the th benefits, the durability benefits of a threaded bottom bracket. Yeah. But then it also gives you the lightweight benefits of a crank set of a BB30 crank set because it uses an aluminum spindle. Yeah. And essentially what it is is it's a 28.99 millimeter versus 29.99. So it's a it's a BB29 instead of BB30. Mm -hmm. And you know the thing is some people will say, well, other brands have already done 30 mil spindle compatible threaded uh -huh. bearing bottom brackets. Yeah. BB92. BB8692 already exists with 30 mil spindles. Yep. So there's there's bottom brackets, but the problem has been longevity of bottom brackets up yes. until recent additions like um, look at uh, E13, my tip from last episode. The E13 PF92 bottom bracket is the first 92 mil width mm -hmm. diameter, you know, small diameter for 30 mil spindle bottom bracket that actually lasts. Yeah. So... SRAM was going through fixing all of that. So the, I guess you're just going to have different, you know, available standards now. But well, they're the just cool basically is, streamlining so, their system. And previously, if you were dealing with like a threaded bottom bracket, then yeah. the problem was that, and if you got a SRAM crank, then a lot of the time you had to buy like an adapter yeah. or like a bottom bracket from Enduro or wheels manufacturing or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Now you can get it all in one place. There's only one choice in terms of standards with the cranks. This is a good move. It is a very good move. And for anybody that's protesting it, you're doing it out of bias. Yeah. You're not doing it out of any sound reason. You can fight and fight to try to find it. But if you're honest with yourself, yeah. if, you close the, if you close the door, turn off the lights and you just have a moment of honesty, yep. it's because you're basically doing the same thing as a little Calvin guy peeing on a Ford logo or something like that because you're a Chevy dude. Yeah. And let's get over that. That's a playground for Fight. Yeah. Like, let's just end this whole SRAM and Shimano silliness, right? Yeah. Like, it's, this is a good move. Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, if you're arguing for innovation and for things moving forward, 
Like, get, because honestly, it's very rare that you find a SRAM fanboy that hates on Shimano. Shimano fanboys hate on SRAM all the time. regularly. Yeah. So it, really, if you're the type of person that goes for innovation, I'm taking a stand here. Yeah. SRAM is the one that's moved things forward. They yeah. pushed one by 11 while Shimano was saying, oh, no, no, you don't need that. That's bad. You need we'll rhythm. We'll do two by 10. Rhythm and step. It's yeah. like, it was just so terrible. So, yeah. so quit hating on SRAM. Yeah. Like SRAM is moving things forward. They make good stuff. Their brakes are even good. You just have to make sure that you take care of them. Yeah. They're not as powerful as, as Shimano's. I will yeah. say that straight up. Yeah. Also, the levels are a little annoying to be able to bleed and do all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. They have their bleeding edge port and all that stuff, but you have to do some funky stuff to get a short throw with yeah. them. So I get it. But this is a good move. Yeah. And, you know, look at the other thing. Look at your – the GX Eagle Dub crank set, uh, crank set is actually lighter than, like, the XTR 9020 yeah. in a one-by. It's crazy. Their, their cheap crank set is, lighter. is, like, 100 grams lighter than Shimano's highest end. Yeah. So Holotech 2, sorry, you're dead. Like, you yeah. need – Shimano needs to rethink their crank sets. Totally. Yeah. But they won't. No, they They're won't. Too prideful to do that. Exactly. Because, yep. hey, it does work. Yep. Exactly right. So, anywho, that's the debate there. The next one comes from uh, EWS. <clears throat> They've done something pretty cool. Mm -hmm. They've actually brought in a Continental series. Yes. So they're basically looking at existing rounds that exist within different series. Mm -hmm. And they've ordained those, so to speak, as Continental Series. And that allows you to get more qualifying points to qualify for EWS. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Which is really cool. And I could see this totally making like, a, you know, like sub calendars, so to speak, where people just go for the Continental Series Championship, that sort of thing. Yeah. So um, those ones in the USA are going to be Aspen Snowmass. Which will be a big mountain enduro series race. North Star, California. Which is California Enduro Series. And uh, then in Burke, Vermont. Which is, I think that's the Cliff Bar East Enduro so. yes. Series, I think. I think. So. Yes, yeah. yes, that looks like it, yep. Uh, then there's some, and uh, apologies for those that are overseas, but they have some for Europe. We're not going to go through each one. Asia, Pacific, uh, and then they also have, um, yeah, all over the place. So anyways, really cool. Good to see. Uh, yeah. I like it. Exciting stuff. Yeah. Uh, Steven, does that cover the news? I think that covers the news. Let's get into the questions. Question. It's a ridiculous question. False. Well, that's debatable. <laughs> All right, this one's from David. He says, hey guys, I recently started listening to your podcast and I'm hooked. I am learning and absorbing as much as this 49-year-old brain can take in. My question to you is, I've only been mountain biking for a little over a year now and I've lost about 70 pounds. Nice job, Good man. Good work. Yeah. With that said, I am now 6'1 and 215 pounds. I purchased a specialized rock opera comp and I was loving the 29er. However, and then he says, I feel that riding trails like Tamarancho and China Camp and also East Bay Reddit Descents, I'm coming across a lot of rocks and roots and I'm feeling the effects of having that hardtail. Yeah. Yeah, that's called like shortening yourself. If you don't want to be 6'1 anymore, you can just keep going. Yep. You can drop right down to 5'5". Five, five. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he says, I was looking into treating myself to a dual suspension bike. I'm really liking the, the idea of the Canyon Spectral for my 50th birthday, but I was wondering if going back to 27.5 inch tires or wheels, I should say, is a mistake. Can you weigh in on this dilemma? Will the 27.5s be okay since I'm now moving to a dual suspension? Thanks and keep up the great work. I don't think one inherently means it's going to have an effect on the other, going from a hardtail 29 to a full suspension 27.5. Yeah. It, you're just two different bikes, two different styles, two, you know, two different suspension platforms. That's going to smooth everything out. Yes. The 27.5 changeover, um, you're not going to have a problem. I've gone back and forth 
Yeah. I I went from 27.5 up to 29 on the Yeti, and then I'm back on 27.5 now. Mm-hmm. I didn't slow down. I'm not crashing more. I'm not having any issues whatsoever. Sure, I notice little subtle differences, but you get used to it. You adapt. It's just yeah. get that spectral and go right go ride it. Yeah, yeah. There are pros and cons for both sides <clears throat> yeah. on the, on the wheels, and you just learn to ride with those pros and cons in mind. Um, the one thing I would say is that you right now you're on a hardtail 29. And I promise you that compared, I mean, I'm sure compared to a hardtail 26, it feels very stable, mm-hmm. but this bike will feel very twitchy. Your current one compared to the 27.5 Canyon Spectral. Absolutely. Because you're going to go to a well-suspended bike. Yeah. So it's not as if you're going to be on a, on a twitchy bike now. So yeah, I wouldn't worry about it, David. Uh, wheel size. Don't be beholden to one or the other. You can switch all around. No monogamy with wheel sizes. Yes. Agreed. Yes. I ride 700 CN 27.5. I ride 700 CN 29. Which is the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. Good catch. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, We probably just educated people with that joke. Yeah. Moving on. Michael says, hi guys. Fantastic podcast. Thanks to you. This past fall, I picked up a Yeti SB5. Love the bike. Raced this past fall in the Eastern Collegiate Cycling Conference and ended up winning men's C overall. One thing that has been strange with the bike though, is when I go up in an endo, he means a nose wheelie, I think. Yeah, nose wheelie. Two very different things. Yes, because a nose wheelie gone bad is an endo. Is an endo. Yeah. So when you, if you go over the front, Ooh. over the bars, yeah, that's, that's an endo. End over end, endo. Endo. If you just go up into a nose wheelie, that's a stoppy or a nose wheelie. Yeah, and, and let's just call them nose wheelies. Yeah, stoppies are for yeah. That's like street yep. bike bros. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, dudes that have like mohawks on their street bike helmets. Oh, that's yeah. those guys. So, uh, anywho. Uh, another, can I just take this moment to correct another thing that I see? Yes. A faux pas, a vocabulary faux Ooh, pas. Getting Frenchy on us. Whole shot. It is massively misunderstood by cycling. Yes. Okay. So the whole shot is, so you can only get the whole shot. One person gets the whole shot. Yeah. You cannot say you got a second place whole shot. The start is also not the whole shot. So let me just run through this. Okay. The first person out of the first turn gets the whole shot. No not matter the first person in. It's first the first person, person out. Because you have to get through that cluster. Yes, you do. To be the winner of the whole shot. The first person out of it. So in, in motocross and stuff, they even have a white line across there. Fantastic. Yeah. Then you can make sure who crosses it first. Yeah. The whole shot is not the start. That's the start. Yes. If you are the first one out of that first turn, you get the whole shot. Now you cannot say I got a second place whole shot. That's like saying I got a second place, third place. Doesn't make sense. I got second second place, place, first place. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. That doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. Like that's like saying like, um, I got a second place scholarship to college. No, you just didn't get the scholarship. Yeah. Right. Like (laughs) you either get it or you didn't. Yeah. The whole shot is, is binary. You either get it and one person gets it. And then if he gets it, nobody else does. No. That makes sense. You don't even share it. No, there is no no such thing as sharing of the whole shot. No, no. So next time don't say I lined up on the whole shot. Yeah. Lined up on the start or lined up on the gate, whatever else you want to say or on the tape. Yeah. BMX Uh, on the gate. Riders ready on the gate. Don't say you were coming into the whole shot. Doesn't happen. You were coming into the start or first turn. Yes. But you can say when I got out of the first turn and I was the first one out of it, I got the whole shot. Yes. And you were the only one. Okay. I feel like, uh, did you just like blow a stress bubble and just (laughs) off it went? Sorry. That was a little, yeah. Hopefully it was educational. 
Shall we move on? We shall. Okay. He says, when I go up into a nose wheelie, we'll say, or pulling the front brake, there is force of the fork. He says, or there is force on the fork. There is a cracking sound that I can hear. Okay. The sound seems to be coming from the headset, but I'm not completely sure what's going on. At first, I thought this is just loose or something, so I put some more grease in the headset and tighten it up, but that didn't solve the problem. Also, when I have it upright and it bounces, the crack sound will happen as well as sometimes when I push and push or compress my suspension while riding. Do you guys have any ideas to the reason for this sound or potential solution? Michael, I know exactly what it is. Oh, you do? This is super easy. Okay. Take the fork out of the bike, yep. put the steerer tube in a vise with soft jaw clamps, okay. and then take the fork legs, twist them back and forth. See if you hear it then. If uh. it's that, you have a creaky uh, steerer tube. So the steerer tube is pressed into the crown yes. when they're manufactured through Fox. Okay. Some of those on the 34s and a very, very few 36s have had this issue. Okay. So this is something that you would want to do that, test it out, and then call Fox. They'll probably replace it under warranty for free. Gotcha. If it's not that, the only other thing it could be is you basically don't have enough spacers in the headset, mm -hmm. and your top cap, when you go to preload that down, is not loading all the way. You're mm. bottoming out on the steerer tube of the fork. Okay. So it sense. could be one of those two things. Yeah. So first thing that I would do is I would take the stem off and replace one of your five mil spacers with a 10 mil spacer and then retighten it. See if it does it. Gotcha. If it still does it, then pull the fork completely off the bike, do the soft jaw on the vice thing and actually take the lowers and kind of move them back and forth, getting some flex into the steerer mm -hmm. tube and see if it makes the noise. Then if it does call Fox. The other thing that I would recommend is simple one, but make sure that your cables are routed and not bumping at all on anything. Yeah. It's, it seems like a simple one, but you might even have your cables like clipped together, but they might spread out from each other. And then when you actually have any sort of impact, they might make contact again. Okay. Uh, and it could also be something with your brakes. Make sure that you check your brake caliper. Mm -hmm. um, that It's probably not that, but I've seen a lot of people also mistake a loose headset for a brake caliper that's just loose. Yeah. And then I would also say, make sure you check your spoke tension because sometimes wheels can be a little noisy. Okay. Plenty of options for yes. him to check yeah. through. Uh, Jace, Jason says, Hey guys, love the show. Five stars. After hearing your comments on the 20, 2018 Epic and having ridden a demo on a, on a couple of group rides, I want one, but, and I am sure you would agree. I want a little more party up front. How are the specialized guys compensating for compensating for the 42 millimeter offset on the Reba or Sid? Uh, he says, I'm guessing either a Pike at 120 or a Fox 34 at 120 with 51 millimeter offset, or am I missing somewhere that missing somewhere that these forks are available in 42 millimeters? Is this even an issue? Handling should suffer, become slower, less twitchy, etc. We'd love to hear your thoughts, comments. So, um, before we get too deep into that, the RS one is made with different offsets. Mm -hmm. So that's one option that you can go for. However, what I have seen almost in every case is that they're riding with a pike at 120 or a 34 at 120. Yeah. And that's, and they're honestly, the nine mils extra offset is not going to create a huge issue. Mm -hmm. Um, I would just honestly go with either one of them, mm -hmm. um, and not worry about it. One thing I would say though, <clears throat> Jason, yeah, if you are a patient man, you can wait a little bit. I might wait a little bit. Oh. Oh. I'll leave it at that. Interesting. Just saying, Jason. Something, okay. you know. Okay, Jason. Something with a little more party might be coming your way. Okay. Up front. Anyhow. Are you, 
Are you implying no, mm, mm, something mm, mm, here? No, no, I don't know. Wanna race, need to train. That's his name. Ah, Next. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Mother gave him that name. Loved mm-hmm. him very much. Says, hey guys, love the podcast. Keep up the great work. I've really learned a lot. Episode 39 was very timely for me as I've decided that I would enter my first ever mountain bike race in 2018. And I've been looking at trainers. Your advice on trainers is very helpful to the extent that I'm strongly considering, considering implementing Jonathan's training strategy. Uh, what he mentions here is a set of rollers and a power meter. Mm-hmm. One, one caveat with the rollers that I didn't mention in that episode is make sure that your wheelbase checks off. If you ride a large and it's like a 140 millimeter travel bike, you might be getting out of the range. Okay. Um, the rollers are only so wide. Forgive me for the on. The rollers are only so long, I should yeah. say. So uh, he says, if I'm training for a mountain bike race and using rollers, do I need to train on a mountain bike or should I train on my road bike instead? Up to you. Either Whatever. Way. Yeah. If on my mountain bike, which power meter would you recommend for an X01 Eagle drive train with Truvative descendant carbon, tr- carbon cranks? So the descendant carbon cranks, um, they're actually going to be very similar to X01s. Same. Same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're just shaped a little bit different. Yep. Um, but the spindle interface and all that and your Q factors, as long as it's all the same, it's, it'll stages, right stages, cheapest mm-hmm. option, best option, just good, consistent, inexpensive power meter. It's the way to go. If I'm on a road bike, which power meter for a Shimano 105 drivetrain with an FSA Gossamer 5034 crankset? This is going to sound like a broken record. Yeah. But once again. Stages. Stages. And then look at perhaps going through and changing out if you need to. Um, the, the FSA does make some cranks and you can find, or sorry, stages sells cranks. And you can find a lot of those cranks on blowout right yeah. now. So you could find like a previous generation 105 or... Yeah. Old Tegra even or something or an older for FSA cheap. for dirt cheap and you can get a new crank set and it'll come with a stages power meter on one of those arms. Yeah. I think I saw old Tegra 6,800 cranks like a month ago for like 300 bucks for a full crank set it's awesome. with the power meter. Super cheap. Yeah. Super cheap. He says, any other tips you can give? He says, I plan to sign up for trainer row once I have the trainer part taken care of. Uh, good fan. Lasco performance series. That's what I would say. That's the tip that I would have. Uh, make sure that you have a good fan. Um, Yeah. So I guess that, that covers it. Yeah, there you go. By the way, he says, I listened to the podcast on Google Play and would give you a five-star rating if I could <clears> find a way to rate it. So instead, I just shared your podcast in the mountain bike groups I'm on on Facebook. I hope that's suitable alter- alternative. If I could like insert like a slow Disney clap right now, yes. I would. Yeah, like a because Disney or golf clap? Golf, uh, Disney, because it would build momentum and oh. drama. And yes. I see. Thank you. That's like the most helpful thing you can do. Yeah. Share this podcast, man. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Uh, should we go into Peter's question? We should. He says, thanks for the great podcast. Discovered it about three to four weeks ago, and I'm listening through starting at the beginning. So apologies if you've dealt with this, but I always feel bad when people listen to us from the beginning. We need to make that trailer episode that basically tells people that like, we were like pimple faced teenagers on prom night. Until like at least episode five. Until like last week, right? Yeah. Oh, last week. Okay. (laughs) So like, so just bear with us, Mm -hmm. you know, we were learning. So I feel like we're better now. I just didn't know what to do with my hands. (laughs) They just kept rising up. Yeah. (laughs) He says, he says, and now in our much older podcast, Jonathan mentioned his preference for the Maxis ardent race tires over their icons. And he mentioned rolling resistance. He says, what do you guys think of the rolling resistance data over at bicyclerollingresistance.com concerning the MTB side? I'm asking because Maxis generally is pretty far down on the list. And while rolling resistance isn't the end all end all be all of MTB tires, there are some straight up t- trail tires ranked well above both the icons and ardent races looking at those knobby nicks. Any opinions or thoughts? Again, thanks for the great podcast. We're going to get into compounds later. Mm-hmm. First of all, 
stop looking at that website. Yes. I cannot stand Same. Okay, that good. website. Same. I hate. Same. Because they're looking at one metric yes. that makes a tire a tire. Yes. There are many facets to what make a tire great. Yes. Sure. A knobby nick might be a little bit better on rolling resistance. And here's Three why. watts or four watts. Yeah. And here's why. Yeah. The reason is because Schwalbe uses a very, very delicate casing. They do. So go ahead, use that thing and then slice your tire wide open. Knock yourself yeah. out. I'd rather, I'd rather, <laughs> I would rather cost myself three to four watts. Yeah. And have a tire at the end of the race. And one that- And have better cornering traction. Exactly. And better handling overall. And, and, and so- this sounds like we're really dogging on this guy that has this website. Yeah. And it's because I kind of am. I don't, I personally, and, and I'm alone at this here at Trainer Road, like Nate, our CEO's really, really buys into this guy's stuff, right? Yeah. I don't believe that he's unbiased because if you look, his Continental ratings are always really high mm -hmm. and his Schwalbe ratings are always really high. And I know you could be saying that's just because they make better tires. But remember, he's selling these tires also on Amazon and Max's tires don't sell as often on Amazon, whereas these ones do. And who knows what this guy has for affiliations? I have no clue. But anyways, I think like if you look at the Knobby Nick and look at the tread pattern on that thing and then compare it to something like the Icon or the Ardent Race. There's no way. There's just no way, man. From I don't a get physics it. base, like there's no way that that tire has Tall, lower rolling resistance. Tall, big rectangular knobs that yeah. are spread out. Nope. No, no, I don't get it. So, and um, even if it did, it's still a Schwalbe at the end of the day. Yeah, and I know casing has a lot to do with it. I know in, ter in terms of rolling resistance, and I know that's what he's measuring because he's got a roller pressing into it, and he's just measuring that. Yeah. But if I would be very interested to test that out otherwise, mm -hmm. and I've done roll down tests with the Icons and the Ardent Race, but I actually want to do a roll down test. It's just going to require me working with some tire manufacturers, and they have to be okay with us revealing their results. Yeah. I want to do actual roll down tests, and I'm going to do it in two phases. So step one, I'm going to, to put the tire on and then I'm going to roll at a specific speed and then I'm going to stop pedaling at a specific spot and then I'm going to coast. I'm going to do this indoors and we are not going to have any wind affecting it, right? Mm -hmm. going to be pedaling and then I'm just going to go until I stop. That should be one test. That's like a real world test. How big of a building are you going to use? I'm going to go in a warehouse. I know somebody who has a shoe warehouse in town. A shoe Shoe warehouse. warehouse. Okay. It's perfect. There yeah. you go. So there's that. But then the other thing that I'm going to do is I'm actually going to go on my rollers and on my rollers, I can actually ride at a specific um, speed mm -hmm. or wattage, and then I can see what the difference is between the speed on the tires. Yeah. It's very simple. Yeah, that's a very simple rolling resistance test. Very easy test. And with those two- It's going to be loud too. Yeah, yeah. On knobby tires, yeah. but that's okay. You know. Um, but with that, I should be able to figure out actual rolling resistance. Now, yeah. keep in mind that's rolling resistance. That's one ask. So if you guys want to see that, let us know. So mm -hmm. then we can count up the data from you guys and say, we have this many listeners that would appreciate hearing this. It doesn't just have to be XC tires. We could do trail tires too. Yeah. But if we say we have this many people that are willing to do this and we show that to tire manufacturers, I think that they would be more inclined to, to lend us tires for something like this. Because I ain't going to go out and buy you know, yeah. all these tires. Yep. So- but I feel like truth needs to be heard. Absolutely. We're, we're, we're freedom fighters here. Steve. Absolutely. Julian says, hey, guys, first of all, just wanted to say I love the podcast. And it's usually the first thing I listen to before going to class. Awesome, man. Perfect. And he says, five stars to you. Now for my question. I'm going to be graduating from college in May on 2018 and currently live in Nebraska. I've accepted a job in Houston, Texas, and will be moving down there in August of 2018. I currently mountain bike. If going up and down the 100-foot elevation here can be called mountain biking. <laughs> it can be. He says, frequently along the local trails here in Nebraska on my 29 or 2009 Specialized Hard Rock 29er. And it's more than enough to get the job done for now. 
I've really been been eyeing a bike upgrade though when I moved to Houston, but I'm unsure what the local terrain is like and thus not sure what type of bike, full squish or hardtail, or even what travel size range to look at. I wonder if you have any experience with the trails in Texas. We don't, but this is a call to arms. Unless, Stephen, you don't. I don't have any. It, it, Houston specifically, no, okay. but Austin, Texas and the Dallas-Fort Worth area, I do know people. So if there's anybody that does have some feedback on that, send it in this week and then we'll relay that over to Julian. That'll be helpful. Yes. He says, and if you could offer any advice, as a side note, I'm not the most aggressive rider, but I'm slowly learning more how to party on the trails. So I'd like a bike that could grow with my skill set. Thank you very much for your help. Absolutely. I would assume that a short travel trail bike is going to be great. Yeah. I think, you know, 130, 140 at most, you know, just some decent trail bike, whether it be a 29 or a 27.5 will be plenty good. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, with people, with friends of mine that are in Austin, actually even San Antonio area, um, and then also in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, they're all on full suspensions. They race on hardtails. They're just like anywhere else in the country. Yeah. There's there's mountain bike parks and there's lots of, you know, terrain undulation. There's Rocky, just not chunky stuff. Yeah, too there's just not giant mountains. mountains. Yeah. There's just a lot of smaller up, down, up, down in, you know, parks that they have set aside for mountain biking. Next one is from LGS. He says, great podcast. This is the last one. He says, great podcast, five stars for sure. On the topic of suspension setup, the first step is always about setting up SAG. Mm -hmm. At least that's what he's reporting is told to him, he says. If I was setting up the fork, though, do I turn the rebound all the way in or out before I do this? You don't do anything. I would assume. Oh, yeah. Well, let's get into that. He okay. says, I would assume that it would be all the way in for the rebound, not to resist the force when I put my weight as the fork compresses. But nowhere have I seen an article or video that mentions the rebound and the low speed compression as far as a setting, as far as just setting up sag only. Also, what do I do with the rear shock when I'm setting up the fork? Does the rear shock need to be in the descend position? How about the rear shocks, low speed compression and rebound? And vice versa. If I was setting up the rear shock, it seems to me that most articles and videos I've always seen isolate and focus on the fork and shock setup only. Any help would be greatly appreciated. Keep up the work. Uh, good work, guys. So he, um, uh, LGS here, uh, should definitely listen to our episode on suspension setup. Mm -hmm. And you can search through and look on MTB Podcast and find that. But what do you do, Steven? So usually when you when you get onto a bike that you're – your damping controls aren't going to have any effect on your sag whatsoever. If they are, it's so minuscule, you would never even notice. Mm -hmm. When you get onto the to, bike and you saddle it. To be safe, though, just yeah. put it in the center, right? It, if you need yeah. to. If it's a brand new setup, yeah. and you, you know, just yeah. keep it in the center. And the the first thing you do is you bounce on the suspension a few times, basically to, like, say, 70% travel, whatever, and you just let it settle mm -hmm. once you sit down and you've got your weight on your handlebars like you're riding. You've got your weight on the saddle with it in the climbing position, however you want it to mm -hmm. be set up. Then from there, that's when you set your sag based off of that. Yes. After that, once you get the sag set up, then you deal with yes your and your you damping keep control. you keep your damping, but you keep your dampers in the wide open position. You don't want to set up your sag in like the pedal position, for example. Yes, you always leave your yeah. So you leave it wide open. Yes, wide open as far as your your pedaling position, Correct. your lockout control. Yes. But if you have separate low speed, yes. high speed compression and rebound that yeah. you're just, just leave it as is, as it comes. You don't need to really worry about it, but if you want to get technical about it, leave it in the, in the most open position, but it's not going to make any difference. I'm going to tell you that right mm -hmm. now. Awesome. Uh, Steven with that, let's get into the business. But he said something. Oh, he does. Oh, he said something yes. about me. He said, <laughs> says, me. PS, I found your podcast through a friend when I was recovering from an ACL surgery in which Steven was recovering from his as well. It definitely helped pass the time tinkering with the bike and getting a wealth of knowledge. 
Yeah. ACL bros. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go try to break it again tomorrow. <laughs> You're going to go skiing. Yeah. It's going to ride the magic carpet up the hill. Yeah. Go ride uh, with all the little six-year-olds. <laughs> I'll show them who's boss. I think that we should tie your tips together with a rope so then they don't spread out and you hurt your knee again. Yeah, that'd be Have bad. you seen that like with juniors? Yeah. Little kids? Yeah, we'll just drill holes in my drill atomic holes skis. In <laughs> yeah. Tie a rope through there. Yeah. Yeah. That's what twin tips are for, right? To drill holes in the end and then tie <laughs> yes. them together? Because you have more tips. Yeah. Then you can drill through one. <laughs> oh, gosh. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Let's get into the business. It's business time. We're going to kick this one off with a question that was submitted from Chase. It's a business question. Yes. He says uh, it will it will, it will will pave the way, so to speak. He says, hey, dudes, checking in from SoCal in the super bro town of Lake Elsinore. That is like the super bro yeah. town of you people don't yeah. know. Where lifted trucks and flat bills run wild and free. Um, As do Dodge owners uh, mirrors yeah. <laughs> in the out position when That's they're true. not towing. Tow mirrors, yeah. Uh, Lake Elsinore, very bro. Yes. Very bro. Super bro. Oh, yeah. Like, it's like it, metal militia, old school, bro. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I used to ride at the at Lake Elsinore Motocross Park back in the day all the time. Yep. Uh, there's, man, th- that, that, so the worst dirt on earth. Mm-hmm. It's basically like, like pulverized cement. Yeah. It's just so bad, but. It never gets good. It would like set a trend for, for tracks down in SoCal for a while to just have massive features. Yeah. So this is back in the moto days. And I remember going there and they had like, you know, I I had built like a few jumps by hand, you know, Mm -hmm. that were like a hundred feet somewhere around there. And we, and we'd hit them and it was big, Mm -hmm. but I got there and they had like one jump out of a turn. It was a triple. And I think that it was like 80 feet. The next one was a table and that table was just under a hundred feet. And then they had another like single table after that, that was like 110 and they had a 135 foot gigantic single, like step up single table thing. Yeah. Like my mind was blown. Yeah. Like jumps were like 15 and 20 feet high. Yeah. It was heaven on earth, man. It was so much fun. Mm-hmm. Oh, good times. Good so days. Bro days. I remember going there and then just finding random Mexican restaurants there. I stayed in the trailer park, like RV park. Okay. That's on the, I guess it would be like the west, northwest end of the lake. Okay. Right there. And I used to stay there. I'd just drive my truck in and I would park like in an empty spot or buy someone's motorhome. Yeah. Just sleep there. Yeah. Then take a, a bath, so to speak, in the Walmart uh, bathroom. <laughs> bird <laughs> bath in it? Yep, bird yeah. bath in it, and then nice. I just go right back to it. Nice. More shredding motos. Good times, man. Good yeah. memories in Lake Elsinore. Um, anyways, he says, I was recently shuttling bikes off-road in my Brodozer Ram 4x4. Sir, Chase, <laughs> we need to stop the question for a second. Yeah. Chase, if you ever reply to this. Yeah and you tell me that you don't have your toe mirrors stowed away <laughs> as any proper good, decent human should, you are no longer allowed to listen to the podcast. Uh, you can. Uh, you can. I'm yeah. just messing with you, Chase. <laughs> I just, it, it was, I was actually down uh, passing through Lake Elsinore. I saw a half ton Dodge yeah. with the big toe mirrors off of like a 2500 HD. Okay. With the toe mirrors out. Yeah. He literally had no hitch receiver on the truck. He couldn't <laughs> tow, even if he wanted to. <laughs> was he was he rolling coal? It was a it was a half ton gas motor. Oh, so no, no, he wasn't even rolling <laughs> no. coal. It oh. was the weirdest. I was like, no, no, please, please don't. <laughs> Lake Elsinore, man. Anyway, all right. Um, so he says, uh, I like that he calls his truck a bro dozer. Yeah, he says he was driving it. Means he's he's a good fun person. <laughs> he is, and he says when he got back from a killer enduro session, we noticed that all of our frames had huge dents or have huge dents where they rest on the tailgate pad. 
I've since installed a pool noodle under the pad to soften the blow from the future shuttling bike beatdowns. Which is a really good idea. Super smart. Yeah. He says we all have aluminum frames. Uh, because yeah, he, carbon doesn't dent very no. well. If it does dent, it's just kind of done. So yeah. he says, because we are constantly going full send and we crash a lot, we got to have those aluminum frames. Okay. I was wondering what your, what your take is on having dents in the underside of your down tube is this a safety issue or can we keep up shredding the NAR? Keep up the killer podcast. Best one out there for sure. Keep shredding the NAR. Um, listen to our old podcast episode. Cause you probably have a set of Kings under that Dodge or <laughs> maybe Fox <laughs> yeah, off-road yeah. shocks. Yep. I don't know. Um, no, if you, Deaver, they make really good leaf spring packs that soften up the dodges a lot. Can so we, can we just do like body lifts instead? <laughs> no. Just body lift, massive yeah. body lift on the thing with some wheel spacers. Oh, Chase either we, loves us or hates us right yeah. now. This is so <laughs> great. Yeah. We're getting into truck talk. Well, we'll we, we digress yeah. and we'll come back. Chase. No, that's actually, I love the pool noodle idea. Super Never good. thought of that. It's yeah. a great idea. Yeah. Um, a lot of the newer trucks have the big, long plastic caps on them. So yes. they, you can't do a pool noodle there or it'd be harder to do it. You have to get like an Uber noodle. Yeah. You'd have to get like one made for like really chubby. <laughs> babies. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, that's actually a really good idea um, for you guys. And honestly, if you've got a little dent in your down tube, there is it's some structural. It is. There's some structural integrity issues with the tubing because you've deformed it and you've lowered its ability to impact re resist basically. Yeah. Um, what I but would just say keep, is send, yeah. take a pick and send it to the manufacturer and yeah. check with them. Yeah. And, and I know say. they'll err on the side of caution, Yeah, but it's still better to check with them because they might be like, Hey man, Sorry about that. Here's a discounted crash replacement. Who yeah, knows? exactly. That's the worst thing. The worst case scenario is if you have to get a crash replacement, at least that's an option. If you totally. guys bought all your bikes brand new, yeah. um, you could also let the Endurbro session end after you get off the bike. <laughs> Don't drive an Endurbro section. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nice. that, that would help. But, um, I get, I get where you're at, man. Yeah, so, yeah. um, yeah, I would, I would check that out. And then, yeah, because I've never actually heard of people denting their frames like that. So yeah, you, I've never heard of yeah, it either. just go hard in the paint down yeah. there, so. I mean, our friend friend of the podcast and um, friend in, in life, uh, Kyle Gardella, has the new mm -hmm. Raptor. And we take the the bikes out all the time and beat the crap out of them. And they're on his shuttle pad. He's got the Dekine, you know, yeah. tailgate pad. And none of us have ever had any issues. Most of us have carbon bikes, but some of the people that we ride with have aluminum still. Yeah. And it's never been an issue. So, yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Okay. On that note, carrying bikes, that's the business that we are going it to be talking about. We're going to talk about racks mm -hmm. and not, not. Hey, now we're, we're going to talk about, about bicycle racks. racks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, bike racks, first thing we should cover, and we're just going to try to give you a breakdown on all the different type of bike racks. And we're going to give you our personal experience and the pros and cons mm -hmm. of each. Okay. Uh, a lot of you may, may already understand this stuff, but hopefully we can make this a lighthearted, quick rip yeah, through these things. Absolutely. First thing we want to talk about is the location in which you are mounting your bike, or I should say the location in which you are carrying your bicycle. Yes. In relation to your vehicle. Yes. Very specific. Mm -hmm. uh, roof, mm -hmm. hitch, or carrying it inside the vehicle, whether that's in the bed of your truck or within the cab of your car. Or like a, the back of an SUV or fold down seats in your car. Mini Cooper. And, yeah, you're, exactly. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> your Fiat 500, yeah. Cinquecento. Anyways. Yeah. So roof first. Yes. Pros and cons. Pro. What would you say a pro is? Uh, pro is uh, if you get hit in traffic, uh, they're going to hit your car, not your bike. So they're yes. not going to destroy your bike. But if you drive a little Fiat 500 and that thing turns into an even smaller roller skate, yes. then that could be bad because <laughs> your true. bike can also turn into a smaller yeah. thing. Um, and also roof, um, one of the pros is that 
any pretty much any car can be outfitted with root yeah. racks. Yeah. It's not limited by anything. You can even get like sea suckers if you can't. Exactly. Sea suckers. I've seen I've seen Ferraris and Maseratis and Lamborghinis with sea suckers on them and it works fine. My good friend James Nord. Yeah. Wherever he goes, he has an F type waiting yep. for him. Yeah. And he packs sea suckers and his and his S works tarmac. Mm-hmm. Pretense on a new level, and it's awesome. It is. It's great. <laughs> um, a friend of the podcast, Ian Cobb, Cobb, or I'm sorry, not Ian Cobb. Um, Ian at Cobb Tuning, yeah, um, used to have a little Ford Fiesta ST. Nice back in the day. Yeah, and when he got into mountain biking, um, he ended up with sea suckers on it, and he loved those things. They were there great. We yeah, so they're yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, they work really well. The cons. Drive-throughs or in, and garages. Yeah, garage doors. They will not like you <laughs> no. at all. Your bike won't like you. And also, I've seen plenty of people actually going with fragile road bikes, yeah. and it actually ends up caving in the roof or a portion of the roof on their car. Yeah. So it can total your car too. Yes, it's really bad. So you got to be careful there. Also, wind noise. Totally. There's only one rack that I've ever installed on anybody else's car mm-hmm. and used on my old Mazda Speed 3, which was the Wisp bars. Mm-hmm. Any of the, like the Thule Aeroblade, the Yakima, none of those ever actually were silent. Yeah. The Wisp bar was the only one. Yeah. And it was deadly silent. It yep. n- made no noise whatsoever. But you're still going to get noise when the bike is up there. Yes. Always. Reduced fuel economy. Bugs. Things like that. Bugs all over your bike. Weather. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I would say too is it can cause over time, since the these are dealing, the bike racks are dealing with so much force yeah. because of the wind pulling on that bike, it can wear out your bike racks quicker yes. than you would have, you know, if you get a hitch rack, for example, it's yes. not dealing with as much. So. Yeah. Uh, hitch. Let's talk about that. You and I are both hitchmen. We are right now. Well, we both have SUVs and trucks, so we it's do. easier that way. Uh, we and and the cool part about a hitch is that it packs your bike out of the way. It does. Um, what other what other pros? Uh, are you pros are it's removable. Once you have a hitch installed on your vehicle, you can take the rack off. Really, and, and it's like 15, 20 it, seconds. It's super quick and easy. Yeah. We use the and we'll get into this a little later on specific yeah. recommendations. But yeah. the, I have the Kuat Envy or the Kuat um, Sherpa. Do you have the new Sherpa? Yeah, the two, Sherpa two point oh. Thing I, is so light. It is like I can just pull that thing and it's super sturdy. Yeah, I just pull that. It's so easy yeah. and it and all it takes me all of thirty seconds to install that bike rack or uninstall it. Yep. So and I've really got the cool. Envy 2.0, Same thing. It's yeah. a little heavier, but. That's awesome. Easy stuff. Um, So it packs it out of the way. Mm -hmm. Usually you'll see more modern tech now with bike racks coming out with hitch racks, it seems. Yes. Yeah. Um, So that's kind of where things are going in Mm -hmm. a lot of cases. Um, You can also get like flexible position mounts in the sense that like you can get uh, a mount that goes into your trailer hitch and then you can mount your bike rack to that and Mm -hmm. it can allow like a swing wide so it can swing away. So if you have a van, the new, the new Kuat pivot. And then yes, exactly. If you have a cab over camper, if you have, there's a lot of reasons that you would need something like that Mm -hmm. and it works really well. Yep. Um, and then we'll go into the different pros and cons of the specific ways that it holds your bike in a bit, but, um, let's go into keeping it inside your vehicle. Okay. There's the truck better, the car. Okay. Uh, pros. It's free. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or relatively cheap if you're talking like a bed, you know, like a, a Dekine, uh yeah, shuttle pad. Totally. Yeah. That's, you know, a lot cheaper than any rack. Yes. It's safe if it's lock, if it's inside your vehicle yes. and that's a locked enclosure. If it's like a bed with a cover or a camper shell and that's locked yeah. or inside your cab, mm-hmm. uh, it's safe Yep, because it's locked up. And it's out of the elements. Yes. Which is really nice. 
Um, some cons though. Chain lube everywhere. <laughs> yes, it's going to get your car dirty. And if you have light interior, the tires are going to mark up your light interior. And um, if you also have a truck bed, mm-hmm. then your bike is just sitting in a truck bed mm-hmm. and it can move around and it could rub on something that could yeah. be bad. Uh, the other thing that is bad too is a lot of the time if people see a bike or thieves, if they see a bike inside there, they're going to break the window and they'd be much more likely to actually damage your car yeah. than just take the bike off the back. Absolutely. And I know that's both of those options really suck, yeah. but, um, another con of them is they take up space Yes, that you could then be using for stowing things like, mm-hmm. uh, humans, dogs. Yeah. Lots of dogs. Exactly. And snacks. Lots of snacks. Yes, those sort of things. So, uh, but, and then that's, I guess, a pro for the other ones is that it allows for more conservation of space. Yes. So, uh, the, the, I guess that's kind of like the pros and cons of those mm-hmm. things, right? Yeah. Should we go into the holding method? Let's. Uh, well, and, and you mentioned uh, frame pads, or I should say tailgate pads. Yeah. Too. So it's kind of, we'll, ju- we'll just, we'll lump put that, that in. into the yeah. truck bed. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> so, um, first one frame mount. So you can have a frame mount, one that clamps onto your frame. You can do that on a hitch or trunk carrying one. Those are pretty much the ones that look like field goal, po- field goal posts yes. laid on their end. Yes. You can also do that for ones that are roof racks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do that. And that, that's basically it, I guess, for clamping on a frame. Yeah. Clamping on a frame, though, is a bad idea. Can we yes. say that? Yes, absolutely. I do not like it at all. Yeah. The only pro, the only pro mm-hmm. to having one of like Thule or Yakima's frame mount mm-hmm. bike stands okay. is that it doubles. You can buy their ski attachment and then you can put ski, like the ski attachment mounts to those field goal post arms. Uh, then you can use it as a ski attachment. That's gotcha. the only pro that I've ever seen with that style of, of rack. The cons of those. Scratched frame. Dented frame, cracked yes. frame. Yes. They, when you're hanging by the frame, the rest of the bike is just wobbling around. The bike gets to like, you know, give gets, your bumper a high five all the time. Exactly. And your <laughs> wheels spin. And so, and I know there's little safety precautions and methods, you know, for yeah. eliminating that. But at the same time, you shouldn't they have don't to, actually work. You shouldn't have to go to Harbor, for Harbor Freight and buy a whole can of bungee cords in order yeah. to make your bike. Exactly. You know, yeah. um, it's a bike rack. So, and granted, the pro though with these is you is can get them for darn cheap. They're, yeah. They make expensive ones, but they, the barrier of entry is a lot cheaper, like with brands like Ceres. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't really make sense in my mind to buy an expensive frame holding rack. Yeah, never. Never do that. Yeah. You can also get like a Yakima one that like your bike stands up and you don't have to take your wheels off on top of like a roof rail Mm -hmm. and then it like clamps onto your frame like that. Don't do that. Not a good idea. I would not recommend that. That's like a half tray rack. Yes. Um, So let's go into like axle mount ones Mm -hmm. and those are usually in the roof rack orientation. Yeah. Uh, You could technically rig something up so that it's in your truck bed Mm -hmm. or you could rig it up so it's even on like a back mount. I've seen people make custom mounts for a trailer hitch that it uses this as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But you, the thing with these is you have to take a wheel off. Yes. Which isn't always bad. It's a, it's. They're, they're less expensive than yes. a typical tray rack. Mm-hmm. So there's one benefit there. Second benefit is usually these are lockable. Yes. So when you like with, uh, with Yakima Thule and the Kuat Trio, mm-hmm. when you lock that, you actually have a full locking mechanism yes. built in. So it's a nice hard mounted mm-hmm. setup. So you're not relying on the rubber of the tire to hold it stiff. You're going straight through the axle. Yes. Which is awesome. It is good. And, and that's really nice to, that's more peace of mind. You should still never leave your bike on your, on your roof in an unsafe spot for a long time. Yeah. You know, always try to, to, try to get out of that situation. But, um, 
there are with the axle mounts, you just have to think of conservation of space again, because mm-hmm. you can find yourself in a situation where it's like, sweet, all loaded up with the family and the food and everything else, and the mm-hmm. car's packed. Now let's load up the bikes. You load up the bikes and you're like, what am I going to do with these wheels? And yeah. you get to hand a, a greasy cassette to Junior so he can hold your bike wheel. Yeah. The, you know what I mean? It's not yep. great. And so, the time of taking the front wheel off and hopefully you don't hit the front brake lever or yes. you've got the little disc brake spade, you know, spacer, spacer. thing. So it's it, – those are more cons to that. Yes. Yeah. Another con with these two is the fact that you'll come across – uh, so uh, something like the Kuat Trio, mm-hmm. it has an adapter for every single axle standard out there. Except for lefty. And except for predictive steering. And yeah, okay. The, you can make it work for predictive steering, but it's not great. Yeah, you can do the boost uh, 115, front 115 or 110. 110, and then it works. And then it does work, but it's not correct. Yes. So, and it can, if you do a lot of that, then it can wear down on that knurled ends that mm-hmm. you have on your lugs yeah. on, the, on your lower, on the stanchion. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Oh, an, another con I forgot to mention about roof racks in general mm-hmm. is that if you have a suspension bike, and we talked about bugs specifically or debris, mm-hmm. then it can really mess with your seals if you yeah. don't clean your stanchions off before yeah. also could you know rocks flying up could hit your kashima coating and yes. you know whatever your anodizing is that could yeah. be an issue as well um so but the the cool part is with something like the kuat trio specifically i really like kuat stuff is awesome mm-hmm. and the thing that i like about the trio is that if you buy chances are you need a nine millimeter for road bikes for your roadie friends <laughs> but these days they're all going disc they're, so yeah. chances are you need something like a, a 12 mil front mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, they have 15 mils and 20 mils and they have them in 100 or 110 or yeah. even up to 150. Yeah. So it's like for fat bikes and stuff. So yeah. you've got pretty much everything covered there. Yeah. Um, it's a good setup. Um, but that's specific to, to Kuat, all the other brands, they're all typically a quick release style. And then you have to buy a separate adapter to do mm-hmm. a boost or a 20 mil or whatever, which can be complicated because then you can use that fancy lock that you have on your skewer to hold down the adapter. Yeah. But your bike on the other hand is, is not, not locked. locked. Exactly. So it's, yeah, that's kind of tricky. And the cool part is the trio, the locking mechanism is still, it's there. a cable lock separately from, yep. yeah. So no matter what yep. you use. Yep. Uh, wheel mount. I think that's our favorite. That by far. Yes. I I wouldn't ever own any other style of rack ever again. Yeah, because it allows you to clamp down on the wheel, mm-hmm. and you can take everything from a twenty inch wheel, and even like uh, in some cases smaller wheels. Like Kuat makes this little like attachment that allows you to clamp down on smaller wheels. Down to the racks. Usually the yeah. yeah anything smaller. It's pretty yeah. tough. Your son's new push bike is not fitting in a Kuat. I tried so hard. I know. I thought it looked so cute. It'd be a cool picture. Yeah. <laughs> we had the little <laughs> Cannondale guy on the back there yeah. with the lefty. Yeah. Um, but those ones allow you to fit a variety of wheel sizes. Mm-hmm. And depending on the rack, like for example, the NV 2.0 is really from Kuat. And we're going to talk about Kuat a lot, but we'll get into specific racks in just a bit. Yeah. But that one is very flexible in terms of like the different things you can run. Fits up to a four inch tire, yep. all 29, 29 plus, everything fits. Mm-hmm. Road fits. Yeah. My, my Sherpa is a smaller rack. Mm -hmm. It's extremely sturdy, um, but it can fit plus bikes on there. No problem, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. Fat bikes. It has trouble with. Yeah. Uh, and then long wheelbase bikes like, uh, XL frames that might be like a 130 mil or 140 mil bike. Yeah. You can fit them. But it gets a little tricky. They start to hang off a bit on the back. Technically, the Sherpa is made for up to a 47-inch wheelbase. Mm -hmm. Um, The only reason I know that is it's one inch shorter than what the NV2.0 is meant to handle. Okay. So. Yeah. So 
those are the things you want to keep in mind, yeah. I guess, with those. But the cool part about these things is like it's just so easy to put them onto. You don't have to take your wheels off. You don't yeah. have to worry about space or storage problems. Mm -hmm. You just put your bike up there, clamp it down, then ratchet down the back tire. And you're, you're done. set. Oh, it's so literally awesome. tense. I did it today holding a cup of coffee. Yes. I literally just threw my Super X up on there with one hand and then switched hands, front wheel, back wheel, done. It's so yes. easy. It's awesome. Yeah. And then tailgate pad. Yeah. Is the last one that we'll cover. Cheapest. Cheapest for sure. Mm -hmm. um, although I've seen it actually scrape up or as we heard, damage frames. Yeah. You can damage frames that way, but I've seen it scrape a ton of frames. Yes. Uh, if you have like pretty paint on there and then you put that pad on, or put that bike on there, if you don't clean it off all the time, then yeah. it's- And when you're shuttling, chances are your bike is dirty. dirty and you're just throwing it right on there. So you're going to scratch your down tube up. And then when you're driving through a dusty road and mm -hmm. your bike's bouncing around, it's going to get dust in between there. So that can be a problem. So you'll see people like lay down like towels and that sort of thing on those. That works too. Yep. The cool thing about those is that you can carry, some of them will carry like six bikes even. We fit seven across the back of Kyle's Raptor. There we go. So, so you can carry a ton of bikes. Yeah. Whereas most like hitch rack ones, the most you can get is like four in most cases. Unless you do a hanging rack like um, mm -hmm. like a North Shore, you can do the NSR6. Bro. Yeah. Yeah. So. Whenever I see North Shore racks, that's like the most bro thing in the world, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but those are really effective too. Yep. We should have mentioned that. Yeah. Those ones where you basically like, uh, it's, it's a it tall guy. It hangs by the guy. fork crown. Yes. And it hangs by the fork crown. Yeah. That I've never tried to put my RS one on there. It might not be RS. Uh, no, it would actually be RS one friendly. I've seen them. Um, the only thing is road bikes and gravel bikes don't fit in North shore racks, but that's all, you yeah. know, not they super unbro anyway. They don't so. belong with the broness of this the North is, shore rack. This anyway. is true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. But so that is really just a dedicated mountain bike rack. That's yep. the only, that's a big downside to North shores and they're heavy, yes. and hard to store. And, uh, let's get into specific racks then. Yes. That we like. So a ton of people talk about the one up rack. Um, awesome. We talk about it. It is. Yeah. It's a little quirky, a little weird. Yeah. One up is they, I personally, so they make good stuff, mm -hmm. but I, being frank, I have seen so many bikes wiggling and wagging around on a one up more so than I've seen on a Kuat. And that's probably because people aren't doing it correctly. But even then, when you put it down correctly and you wiggle that thing, mm -hmm. it does have movement. It's very, very like robust and built well, but it is, in my mind, it is not as good of a system. The, the rack is definitely it? itself is flimsier than yes. the base, what they call the superstructure on the Kuats. Yes. So yes, the whole rack does move around a lot more. Mm -hmm. The big benefit that I like about one up, and I will never own a one up. Yeah. I love that they're modular and you can just add one at a time, Yeah. but- the big benefit that I like about them is that if you have two bikes that have a conflicting handlebar and seat post or seat mm -hmm. when they're back to forth, you know, back to mm -hmm. front, back to front, you literally just scoot the one forward out of the way and then you just clamp down both wheels off the to the edge. So that makes it a little bit easier than the Kuat where you have to loosen the front wheel tray, raise it up or down, yep. and then tighten it back up and then do it. Yep. So it's a little easier in that sense. Yeah, and the Sherpa doesn't have that sort of adjustment. No. Uh, the transfer, which is a super cheap one by Kuat, and this is a hitch rack clamp down on your wheel. That's what you used one. to have. Yeah, yeah. it's freaking awesome. It mm -hmm. looks like a goalpost for yeah, sure. It is. Um, yes. When I was backing up with my backup camera, it always looked like when I was backing up, like I should have a little referee back there telling yeah. me it was good. Nice. Anyways, uh, those ones are super cheap mm -hmm. 
and then you just rotate a little thing to be able to change the height of the bikes if you have a problem like that, which yeah. is awesome. Um, I think you can get that rack for like 250 bucks to 300 bucks, I think. It's, uh, it's like 299 for the two and 389 for the three. three. And I would go for the two in most cases yeah. if you have a car. Because yeah. if, if you have a car, the three is really high. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little too high, I would yes, say. Exactly. Um, but it's an awesome rack and it's mm -hmm. cheap and it holds your bikes really stable and it's got really broad compatibility. It's more compatible than the Sherpa, but it's not quite as stable, not yeah. quite as compact, uh, not quite as, as you know, buff, I guess, like well-built yeah. is, is that one. Um, Yakima and Thule, they both make racks that clamp down on the tires on the back. Yep. They're solid. The Yakima one weighs a metric ton. Mm -hmm. It's super heavy. The Thule is also very heavy. Yeah. Um, on roof racks, I, I have good friends with the trio and they love it. Mm -hmm. If I had good experiences with it on our mini Cooper, we have a mini countryman and we have the Yakima, um, sidearms. Yes. The sidearm 945 XT, I think it's called something like that. Those ones were great, but they have worn out over time Yes, and they become really loose and my bikes wobble and it's not good. Yeah. So I've actually pretty much decommissioned those racks, um, because I don't feel comfortable using them because they wobble too much because they've worn out. Yeah. Um, Yakima has one where you can, uh, clamp down on your wheels up there too. It's just a little bit more complex. I really like the sidearm. I just wish it was more durable. If you're going to go for a roof rack, yeah. that's my recommendation. Absolutely. Cause the, the sidearm is essentially the same clamping assembly that the T2 has, which uh, is their hitch, the hitch rack. Yep. And, uh, it's just, it is a flimsy setup. It's a big bulky plastic housing and they do wear out. That's the, that's the one thing I do not like about them. So uh, let's actually, let's organize these specific recommendations, Stephen. Mm -hmm. If you're going to go roof, which bike rack do you recommend? Kuat trios. Kuat trios. All day long. Awesome. I will take wheels off. I don't care. Like yeah. that's, I'm sorry, but, and I, and I would try to find wisp bars, um, for quietness for the, okay. Awesome. Yeah. And the wisp bars are the cross bars. You're the crossbar, the base assembly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, if you don't have storage for wheels, I would recommend the Thule sidearms. Just yes. keep up on them. Yeah. And I have to, to Thule's credit, I haven't reached out to them and asked them if they would like replace some parts that might make and them they tight will. again. They I'm absolutely sure they will. Would. Lifetime warranty on, on all Thule and Yakima stuff. Awesome. So yeah. And, so, and Kuat. Yep. Yeah. Uh, now if you are going to be mounting things to the hitch, what's your recommendation? Envy uh, 2.0 or Sherpa 2.0. Yeah. They're solid. That's it. I, I don't, I would not recommend the T2, the new T2 XT. Um, I would not recommend. Yeah. I just don't. Rocky mounts makes one that looks pretty solid. Um, it, although I've heard from people with the Rocky mounts one that they do get a little bit of rattle with it. Whereas with the uh, Envy and the Sherpa, they don't have any yeah. rattle at all. Yeah. Which is nice. It's just, uh, if something rattles in the beginning, you can guarantee that it'll rattle a whole lot more later on. Yes. And rattle leads to fail eventually. Always. Um, and then tailgate pads. Is there a specific tailgate pad that you like best? Um, honestly, the Dekine is the softest one out of the bunch. Oh, I didn't think about that being yeah, like the a, material. Yeah. The softest on your paint underneath. The Dekine actually has like a microfiber um, inside so Ooh. that it doesn't rub your paint. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I know Yakima has one that has like barriers on the edge. Mm -hmm. So then your bike won't slide. Yeah. Off it's got the, edge. the big block trays that go around. Yeah. Super smart. Mm -hmm. I like that. And then I've seen other brands that have like, um, I don't think it's Thule, but they actually have like slots for bikes mm -hmm. so that your bike kind of stays centered. That is, I think that's the Thule. I think so. Yeah. Um, the only downside with that obviously is you're carrying a bunch of bikes, then, you know, you don't have slots for every one of them, but yeah. then you're just back to a normal tailgate pad for those bikes. Exactly. 
Um, how about a fox tailgate pad? Tight. Uh, Chase probably has a fox tailgate. <laughs> we love you, Chase. Kidding, Chase. We love you. Um, uh, anything else? Uh, I guess um, so. Rocky Mounts is a brand. If you need adapters, check out Rocky Mounts. Mm-hmm. They make a bunch of adapters. Yeah. Kuat is also a good one to check out with that. Oh, bed. We didn't talk about bed rail systems. Bed rail systems. Um, Yakima and Thule have a really good bed rail system now. Um, but and a lot of trucks now mm-hmm. are coming with. OEM spec type bed rail systems as well. Yes. So um, my truck has them, the Tacoma. Yeah. And then what I did is I got Kuat dirt bags, they're called. Mm-hmm. I think they're still called that. They're called dirt bags. Yep. And they're basically like a little mount that, and then you can get the, if you go on Amazon and you look for truck bed rail hardware. Mm-hmm. That's the spot to get this hardware because if you buy it from like Toyota or something, if you bought it's Toyota, a million dollars. Oh my gosh, it's absurd! So go there and get that hardware from Amazon or from Amazon. Mm-hmm. And get it super cheap, and then you use that to mount those things to those bed rails. Yep, and you can get them in fifteen millimeter through axle. You can get them in a bunch. Yeah. Uh, you can get Co-op makes a bunch of them and they're dirt cheap. They're, they're super 20 cheap. bucks retail. Yeah. They're super cheap. So that's a really cheap bike rack yep. right there. But if you want to spring for a little more, go for a Rocky mounts one mm-hmm. and Rocky mounts makes locking yes. ones that you can use, yeah. which are really handy. Yep. So, and that's a good secure way to store your bike. So, um, there's an also Thule makes something called like the Gator or something. And it's basically the same like clamp down on the wheel system, mm-hmm. but it sits like it's, it's when you close your tailgate or when you close your tailgate, it kind of like sandwiches something that holds the bike rack still, so to speak. Yes. And then it can clamp down on your wheels. That's another option, mm-hmm. but honestly, it's probably better in that case, because if you have a short bed, I'm sure you can't fit your bike lengthwise with the wheels on. Yeah. Um, if you have a long bed, then I'm sure you can in a full size truck, but, yeah. um, if you have like a Tacoma with a long bed, you might not even be able to fit your full size truck or your, your bike with both wheels on and that type of a mount system. Yeah. So, um, that's what I'd recommend. Anything else that we forgot on bike racks? I'm sure, but that's our experience so far. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, if you have any questions on bike racks or bike stuff or whatever else, go to mtbpodcast.com. Yeah. Tips. Tips time. You don't care. They're counting on your tips to live. Steven, you want to kick it off this time? No. Oh, okay. I'll start. Uh, I'm going to say, so this is a treatment that happens to fabric. Uh, Lululemon, for example, does it to their underwear. Okay. Um, and Yeti is, so the reason I'm sharing this is because their 2018 apparel just came out Mm -hmm. and I was just checking it out. And one of their jerseys, uh, the Tallinn jersey is Mm -hmm. one that I had last year. And it has, um, it has that, uh, cold black coating, I think it's called. I can't remember the exact name, but basically it like reflects light or reflects heat, but then it also like, it's extremely cool fabric. Yes. Um, but they also, it has this antimicrobial treatment that's called polygene. Mm -hmm. And basically what that does is that makes it so that you don't have to wash your kit. I know that sounds gross, but your kit will not stink. And it is weird. Like it is amazing. That stuff is like I wore, so to give you an idea, I wore this jersey and they even say on there, like, go ahead and try it, wear it and see if it stinks. It mm-hmm. won't stink. So I wore that jersey in Whistler and I wore it for like three days in Whistler and it was like a hundred degrees and humid in Whistler when I was there. Okay. Okay. I didn't wash it at all. I kept it at the base of my pack. <laughs> Steven's face is gross right now. <laughs> I kept it in the base of my pack. We drove all the way back to Salt Lake. I took a train back there to Reno. And I left it unwashed for another month. I wore it again. I didn't wash it. 
I wore it again. I didn't wash it. It smells brand new. It's freaking amazing. Black magic. It is black Gross. magic. Some sort of sorcery is going on there. Yeah. Anyway, it's because it basically, from what I from from what I understand, uh, there's there's something that kills the oils that 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 harbor odor mm. in there. So, anywho, science things happen, and it doesn't stink. So the stuff is there; it just doesn't stink. Yes. So it's still dirty and gross. It's it just funky. doesn't smell. It just doesn't stink. Well, actually, yeah. no. The funk comes from the bacteria, so it doesn't have the funk. So after you did all of this, and then you let it sit for another month before you washed it, yeah. did it put itself into the washing <laughs> machine? Or no, I washed it. Okay. Anyways, that that stuff right there, the anti the polygene coating. Yeah. If you can find products with that, do it. It's okay. awesome. Okay. I'm not saying because you never have to wash your kit. I'm just saying because that way, when you get back in the car with your bros and you've just done a gnarly shuttle run, you don't smell gross because nobody likes to even bros don't yeah. like other bros that smell gross. This is true. So, um, and so anyway, that's a good tip. And, and I'm stoked because Yeti's pushed that onto their Enduro kit too. And their Enduro and that their Enduro jersey is my favorite. I love jersey. the Enduro jersey. It's so well. Yeah. So, and now it's covered, it's coated in that stuff nice. too. So less stinky humans is a good thing. You think they would do the Enduro jersey with Cannondale logos on it for me? <laughs> we, can, we can give it a shot. <laughs> we'll ask him. Uh, my tip. Yeah. It's not a specific product. It's a Ooh. specific thing. So we're kind of on the same yeah. length here. Okay. I like it. It's, a, I think everybody needs to try in the Enduro and downhill world specifically, even on trail bikes. Mm. If you're a Max's tire guy. Try taking your Max Terra front tire, Minion DHF, you know, insert whatever tire is available yeah. that you're using. If it's available in a Max Grip, try it. Ooh. It completely changes the characteristics of the bike. It Ooh. makes tractions just that much better. Many um, tractions. Many tractions. Wear down faster, I assume. They do wear down faster, um, but it is a game changer, especially if you're used to training on, say, a Max Terra DHF, and then you go race. It's worth it. Well, who are we kidding? We're all made of money anyway. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah, we can afford $90 <laughs> tires every few weeks. Um, they don't wear down astronomically faster unless right. you're really pushing the tire. Um, but the traction advantage is just amazing. And one of the things that that people don't understand about compounds in rubber yeah. is that rubber has tunable rebound damping basically it's pretty sweet so the harder the rubber is the faster it wants to rebound and that's partially what when you find the traction limit of a tire mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you lose traction it's because that rebound has grown it's grown such a high tension that it has to release mm -hmm. the friction to the ground is no longer big enough that it just releases and then your tire washes out yeah so a tire that has more pliability and more rebound damping characteristics will not rebound so fast that it bucks and loses traction. It will hold traction for longer. Smart. It's really cool. It's it, We're getting kind of sciencey there, but yeah. bottom line is just try a max grip tire if that works within your discipline. That's sweet. So I, I like this idea, mm -hmm. and I want to try these because I actually – can't remember the last time that I traded out a tire because it was worn down. Mm -hmm. I trade out the tire because I just put a giant hole into the thing mm -hmm. or a huge sidewall slash yeah. or something else. Yeah. It's very rare that I end up, and I know that a lot of people are probably thinking like first world problem, you jerk yeah. Jonathan. But yeah. like, all I'm saying is that I bet a lot of you actually could, could, would be okay with a tire that wears down quicker. 
because in many cases, what you, what ends up happening to that tire that gets you to get rid of it is that you tear a hole in it or something. Yeah. So it, this is something that to consider. Yeah. And one of the things that you're going to, that I want people to understand is a lot of times you're wearing, you're wearing tires out in the sense that the cornering knobs are being ripped off of the sides. Mm-hmm. Hashtag squabby life. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> if, if that's the case, your tire's not wearing down, you know, any quicker, but you're ripping sidewall lugs off. And the max grip actually yeah. has better pliability in that sense. So you're not going to be tearing the sidewalls off. You're actually going to be wearing the tire out. Huh. So it's it's just a cool option. And I think that everybody should try next time you need a front tire. And if you run a DHF or something that's, you know, available in that compound, try the max grip. You might be surprised. Cool. Yeah. Good one, man. With that, let's close this week out. Well, questions next week. I think we need to do. We just need to do a full question. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Keep sending them in mtbpodcast.com. Anything else to say? Have a nice day. Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.